Calling Shuttle Pod 3. You're cleared for departure. Safe travels. And welcome back to Shuttle Scuttle. Today in our trusty Type 9, we're headed to Viridian 3 to do some cleanup operations on the Enterprise D saucer, which has fortunately not been discovered by the natives yet. There are a few components which are running out of warranty, so we're just heading over there to pick them up. Anyway, I am here with George and Alex today, and speaking of the Enterprise D, we just had to have a conversation about the great boat of the sky, the Galaxy Class. George, Alex, the Galaxy Class. Tell me what your thoughts are. I bag a dip in cetacean ops before they clean it up. It's going to be all topsy-turvy and I bet it'll be really fun. It'll either be really fun or you'll open the door and just be flushed down the corridor by a torrent of water. Well, that sounds fun in its own way. I do hope they got the dolphin officers or whale officers or whoever they had in there. Zindi Aquatics. The cetacean officers. The cetacean officers. See, that's a much more neutral way of saying it that I did not think of until just now. So thank you very much for that, Alex. <laughs> I love the Enterprise D. Um, I have always considered myself primarily an X Gen mm -hmm. fan. And so being able to see that gigantic thing in space, it is so wonderful. Um, I love that it was the first ship that we really got to see that had like kids on the ship yes. and families on the ship. And I've seen so many jokes over the years about it being a Disney cruise line in space <laughs> that shouldn't get into fights, but it does. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say that if I was a parent in the 24th century that I'd be like, you know what? The Enterprise, that sounds like a safe, reliable ship that never gets into trouble. This will be the perfect place to raise my children. I see no way in which this could possibly go wrong. Well, let's let's be totally honest, though. Um, within the canon of Star Trek, you're totally right. Like, I would not have my family on board a Galaxy Class. We saw what happened to the, the was it the Yamato? Yep. That was bad times. Very bad vibes for all involved. <laughs> also the Odyssey. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. At least that, I think. I don't know if both of them had, in canon, had their crews offloaded before that happened, but I feel like at least the Yamato definitely didn't. The Odyssey did before it went through to the Gamma Quadrant. They left their bulk of their crew on Deep Space Nine. Well, that's not so bad then. But in reality, if you're on a planet and someone decides to go at warp speed into the continent next door, you're going to have a bad day. So, yeah. yeah. I, I suppose, in a sense... The whole universe is a nightmare and is very dangerous, so why not be on a Calypso music playing carpeted cruise liner <laughs> with your whole family, taking a dip in Cetacean Ops, and spilling hot chocolate on Picard in engineering? You know, there's so many opportunities for fun on a day-to-day. -day. <laughs> or with all these malfunctioning holodecks. Exactly! You know, just take a stroll through the holodeck. If the safeties break, they break! They break! <laughs> if every character is suddenly Brent Spiner, well, that's just improved the program tenfold from my perspective. Perspective. Exactly. Yeah, your holodeck rendition of Dune starts leaking out into the rest of the ship. There's no problem. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. There's no problems. Everything is fine on this ship. Captain, I have to report there's a giant sandworm making its way through Cargo Bay 2. <laughs> Whoever controls the self-sealing stem bolts controls the universe. <laughs> And now this is a Dune podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, biggest regret with the Galaxy Class, we never got to see the captain's yacht doing its thing. It just sort of mm -hmm. hung out there on the underside of the ship like the spider in the corner of the bathroom. Mm. I would have loved to see a Cetacean Ops as well. I don't think we really got 
a good glimpse of cetacean ops until lower decks am i right yeah i think you're right yeah it was alluded to but yeah until lower decks we never saw it i i want to see the dolphins we never got to see william Riker swimming around looking sexy with his underwater trombone trying to put the moves on some kind of catfish <laughs> oh my god <laughs> literally or figuratively both yes <laughs> catfish or catfish but one of the things that i love about the galaxy class is actually something that's very meta and that is the fact that the galaxy class not directly but through the next generation and through the people that worked on that show really developed our understanding of the 24th century Mm. i think that I'm pretty safe in saying that aside from the Mr. Scott's Guide to the Enterprise, which wasn't canon and wasn't made by the people who worked on the original show, the TNG tech manual was pretty much the first made by the people of the show tech reference. Mm -hmm. And that manual is so detailed. Like, it actually astounds me that somebody that, well, the Akudas and Rick Sternbach sat down and wrote that manual because it thinks of things that I would never have thought of in a million years. This manual came out, I believe, before Generations. It has the safest way to land a saucer listed in it, as well as the flight path that you should follow with the saucer section in order to (laughs) land it safely. Tell me, James, did they follow the safest path in Generations? They actually did. Oh, wow. Ah, fantastic. Well done, Deanna. They followed the manual. Little did you see, uh, an off-screen Deanna Troy's just got the manual under the desk. (laughs) And this is the thing, like, people complain about Troy saying, oh, you know, Troy is a bad Helms person because she always crashes the ship. She managed to land a Galaxy-class saucer with no engines, literally using a by-the-book maneuver. Mm -hmm. Then the second time she had the helm, she managed to ram the scimitar in such a way that she disabled (laughs) all of its auxiliary craft, which meant that it wasn't able to put up another defense. It was truly miraculous, truly incredible flying. Good going, Deanna. Troy slash Marina Sirtis. You've got to give Deanna Troy credit. I, I get so annoyed when people say, oh, she, she crashes the ship. Well, look at the context in which she was piloting. <laughs> well, I'd like to see you do better taking control of a giant, massive saucer with no engines. I know I'd do terribly, so... <laughs> James would do great, but he has the same book that Deanna Troy did under the desk, so yeah, you know. I'd have it also under the desk and I'd be like, right, go this way and then this way and then land it. Just balancing it on his knee as he's got the helm controls. Yeah, he's sprinting back and forth across the bridge trying to find his documents and <laughs> accidentally opening the rock compartment and sparks <laughs> flying everywhere out of random ceiling fixtures. It's, it's a disaster. The transparent aluminum for some reason shattering. Not ideal uh, a situation for, you know, trying to remember mm. where you put your technical manual. Um, what else about the galaxy? Well, I mean, it just has a really lovely open design. Mm-hmm. Like, I really love the aesthetic of the NX class, but Mm -hmm. it's very much based on modern day submarines. It's kind of the set designers, basically, they actually visited submarines, if I remember. And were like, what's the natural evolution of this design language? And then we go and jump 200 Mm -hmm. years into the future and you have the galaxy class. And it really illustrates the difference in the the approach of the Federation in those times. Wide open corridors. is very stripped to the bulkheads grey and the galaxy is here's some beige here's some leather here's overhead lighting at 
every junction. Earth tones. Everything you could possibly want. How many fish tanks did you want? I love all the soffit lighting. <laughs> I love the bedrooms. I've always wanted that. Like, there's like a little wall, like a little short wall, and there's a purple light that comes up from behind it. Like, that's just really nice. Yeah. It's just wonderful. It's like they finally paused and went, okay, we can make people comfortable now. Uh, everyone can have the Excelsior experience and live their best lives with, with square footage abound. And shiny blankets. <laughs> I really love the, like, running joke within Star Trek of the bedding just always looking terrible. What are the triangle pillows? Can somebody please explain the triangle pillows to me? <laughs> oh, God. They don't look comfortable at all. They do not. I I don't envy anybody in sickbay because it looks like they're always going to fall right off the beds. <laughs> God forbid your ship gets into a, a battle and you lose inertial dampeners. You're just going to fall right off. And when you get sent to sickbay, you either end up with a foil blanket or this like very cyan blue nightgown thing. It's extremely advanced technology, James. You wouldn't understand. You're not a doctor. These things uh, are very course, important for healing. Of course. I, I don't get it. It's actually a gravimetric trick blanket. Okay. <laughs> and polar on pajamas. Polar on pajamas. Okay. <laughs> that sounds extremely uncomfortable. Anyway, we're now entering standard orbit above Viridium 3, so it's time to wrap up for today. Please remember that you can reach out to us at any time on our website, shiptalkingpod.com, or email, which just add a hello at to that web address. Then you can contact us on socials, at ShipTalkingPod, on Twitter or Instagram. But thank you again for listening today, and we'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. Bye-bye. Bye.